Write that, write that down for me, Satan. Write that down for me, Satan. Hey everyone, welcome back to Write That Down. I am one of your hosts, Justin Nipper. I edit fightgamemedia.com. I'm a staff writer at F4W Online and WrestlingObserver.com. I'm back with Japan's leading pro wrestling author, historian, broadcast journalist, sociologist, Mr. Fumi Saito. Welcome to part two of our Joshi Pro Wrestling History miniseries, our deep dive into women's pro wrestling in Japan. Today we picked up where we left off on the last episode before we really dive into uh, Joshi Wrestling in the 80s and 90s. Fumi did a recap of what we talked about last week, and then we dove into talking about the Mimi Hagiwara era. We talked about Jaguar Yokota and uh, Devil Masami's early days. We talked about the legendary Crush Gals era. You hear their song in the background right now. That's them. Uh, the introduction of uh, JWP, Jackie Sato's JWP in 1986, the, the second big women's promotion. Not big, but the second promotion. We spent a lot of time towards the end of the episode talking Bull Nakano. We talked about an early 90s era as well, 92, 93, 94. And we're going to talk a lot more about that specific era of All Japan Women's Wrestling and LLPW and a lot more next week on part three. But today we did our best to get through as much as we could. We focused on Bull, um, the Yokohama show, uh, 1993 Yokohama show, kind of legendary one. Um, there's a lot to unpack. This is another dense episode. Uh, if you have questions, comments, let us know. Get at us on social media. All right, if you haven't already, before we get started, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Downcast, wherever you download your podcast. Uh, it helps us out a ton. Okay. And also, by the way, I have a book out on Amazon right now called Stronger Than All. It's a digital match guide to every New Japan Strong match of the first two years of episodes. There's a sale going on right now this month, um, and if you're interested, you can pick it up for $2.99 US dollars. So, all right, plug it out of the way. Let's get into the good stuff. Let's get into Joshi Pro Wrestling History, part two, 1980s, 1990s. We were talking about television. That's, uh, that's how we got this way, that the... Channel 8, Fuji Television, was always behind this big idea of women's wrestling to be a different entity, you know, a completely different entity from men's wrestling, pro wrestling in Japan. In that, uh, from Ricky Dozan era to Giant Baba, Antonio Inoki era, all the way to, to this day, I guess, that uh, wrestling is very popular. There were there was a dark age, but the, the, the Fuji Television wanted to create something completely different from that aspect of pro wrestling. Pro wrestling, nonetheless, but the women's wrestling was something completely the same product, but completely different approach and deal with different marketing, different that the deal with different audience is what I'm trying to get to. And it cultivated that right. uh, that kind of younger audience that that female teenage audience that never right. never was there and never really came back either right because they weren't really wrestling fans they were mahafumiyake fans they were beauty pair fans maki ueda fans jackie sato fans you know yeah then there was a, a cl- more clear baby face and heel setup than the men's wrestling at the time 
See, if you remember, Japanese wrestling, of course, basically at the time, Japanese babyface against American heel, but it's always subtle. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Kind of almost subtle. But all these Japanese women, like 30 wrestler roster, and the, the one wearing red is babyface in the, the, the black track, you know, tracksuit top and bottom. That The black one is uh, the heel, you know. That the beauty pair had a rival or black pair, you know, and uh, yeah, uh, it was really easy to understand. Like a first time viewer on Channel 8, All Japan Women's Pro Wrestling TV program, that, that, that you can start watching it today and understand it. Does that make sense? Simple. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Then the baby face will work like baby face and heels will work like heels. And they don't use the word baby face or heels, though, but it's clear. Watching television, mm-hmm. yeah, but the, right uh, for for those listeners out there that didn't listen to our first episode, let's okay, let's use next three minutes to go over kind of like a college course, <laughs> college you know class. Yeah, let's that, recap. That we have to go over last last week's material. There was women's wrestling as, as early as 1948. There was the war ended, and you know there was a war, World War Two. There was a Pearl Harbor. There was a Hiroshima. There was Narasaki. We went over that. Yeah, because today's audience sometimes don't even know there was a war. Yeah. I mean, it's of course they do. Know, years but, uh, ago now. The 80? It, it's, yeah, like, a, like a 75, 76 years ago. 1945, the war was over. Then they don't, a lot of the people probably, what was I got to do with anything to do with wrestling? It does because there was a thing, GHQ. General headquarters, Japanese occupation, right? And, you know, by General MacArthur. In 1951, six years after the war, there was still uh, that uh, U.S. occupation in, in, in Japan, GHQ. And 1951, wrestling was brought from America. And one, Bobby Brown's crew uh, that had a tribute to troops. And that's where Ricky Dozan debuted as pretty much i wouldn't say first japanese professional wrestler because there were the people before that you know but uh, in in popular history yes ricky dozan was the first japanese uh wrestler american style professional wrestler that first made it superstar big. yeah yeah and same 1951 meldred barks crew came in the same year that that ran the show in japan women's wrestling show in japan as early as 1951 amazing right that the seed was planted by Mildred Park and Great Mae Young. And yeah, the same Great Mae Young. Yeah. And they trained young Japanese wrestlers, then left. Then there was a birth of women's professional wrestling. And Ricky Dozen's Nippon Pro Wrestling never used women's wrestling. Ricky Dozen himself, was I was told, that he resented women's pro wrestling at the time. And they never really used it. You know, there was a different image to it, right? But therefore... Uh, it's, you never know what works. That the women's wrestling in Japan had different, completely different development and a d- completely different evolution. That the women's wrestling company, all women wrestling company existed all all through this last seven years. That's a yeah, uh, the basic history, you know. And uh, as early as 1955, there was like a five, six, seven women's company in Japan. Tokyo Pro, you know, Tokyo Women's Wrestling. Not this 
you have Tokyo Joshi now, right? But that's yeah, completely different. Same not name. DDT produced uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro. This was right, uh, but there was such thing as Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestling back in 1955. All Japan was wrestling, not the women, you know, all Japan women's wrestling that we know. Of. And there's another all Japan Pro Wrestling. There was Hiroshima Joshi Pro Wrestling. It's like a six, seven different company running shows around the country. Amazing. I mean, I'm talking about mid mid fifties though. But we gotta fast forward a little, little bit because um, these the fifties and sixties women's wrestling in Japan weren't you know weren't as you know well documented as it should have been because that the sports paper or even the pro wrestling magazine you know newsstand magazine they didn't really cover women's wrestling as much kind of prejudice but. Uh, they weren't covered by sports pages, you know, sports section of, you know, the tabloids, even that, that there was no really much a physical record to the match result or title match records and all these things. It's really, um, yeah, it's a shame, you know, that they didn't, didn't really have written history on it all through 50s and 60s. And we, we talked about it in the last, you know, episode that it was actually young Rossi Ogawa, you know, 21-year-old Rossi Ogawa. Uh, he did all the research and dug out the result and, and the, that the, made this, you know, lineage and, and the title match history and result as much as he could. And then and, 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 and he tried to put, you know, fill the gap a little bit, you know. Wasn't complete though, but uh, yeah. Um, young Rasi Ogawa started working for All Japan Pro Wrestling back in 1978. He's Beauty been working pay, there his hair, whole hair. life. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, right. It's good though, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's one of the last from that era, and he was behind a lot of it too. He saw it happen. Yeah, right. Under and also, he was. Yeah, Matsunaga Brothers. Matsunaga Brothers are, are, are the very interesting one. That the Takashi Matsunaga, Kenji Matsunaga, Kunimatsu Matsunaga, and Toshikuni Matsunaga, four brothers ran the company. Yeah. And uh, they were the one running, what, 250 to 300 shows a year for 20, 30 year period. Um, it's like a more barnstorming style. Mm. That uh, not as when the TV came, yeah, that the day run a you know, TV type shows was TV budgets, but the, when when it's not TV taping, they would go to the, the smallest town in, in that the, you can find that you probably can't find these little town in map even that they I mean, ran shows two or three hundred shows in Japan. That's all you're going to a lot of small towns. That means, I think. yeah, yeah. Then they, they never even took a bullet train, always on the bus every day. Night after night, day after day. That's hardcore. And they, oh, they going to town, and the girls and these, you know, company guys and the you know, wrestling, you know, wrestlers who were the one building the ring, setting up the concession, setting up the even uh, seatings, you know, because they they had their own, you know, these chairs. Yeah, seriously, they carry their own. The, the steel chairs, you know, in the for wrestling, they they were like at least five hundred chairs in that truck, oh, all the way till like nineties, yeah. So um, they were able to run wrestling shows in the middle of nowhere, basically, and uh, 
that's uh, another method. It's like old school 50s wrestling in America, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, but the TV came in and uh, then we talked about Maha Fumiyake, Mak Fumiyake's era. She was the one who started singing and she was a big, huge superstar. And uh, that the wrestling, that the women's wrestling all of a sudden got so popular and commercial and became pretty much TV show and TV product in, uh, to be exact, 1974. And Maha big boom period only lasted a little less than three years, two years and eight months to be exact. You know, much like Tiger Mask, you know, era. You know, we still talk about, you know, Satoru Sayama's Tiger Mask era because he was so huge and phenomenal and that there was so groundbreaking that the, 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 the you know Taiga Mask was showing something that nobody has ever seen, right? That the Mahahumiake was exactly that in 1974. You know, pretty uh, young 17-year-old wrestlers doing this thing in, in, in the ring and it's on TV every week and wow. It's around the same time, I think, Justin, you were a bit too young to remember roller derby and roller games. I remember same. roller derby from my dad. My dad really liked roller derby. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. Same it, it era. It came back in the 90s. It did come back right. in the 90s. Right. Oh, they briefly. tried a few different times. Right. I remember watching yeah. it. But uh, roller derby is definitely one of those sports or quasi sports that is kind of like a relative of pro wrestling. Very, very similar. Yeah. And when extinct, you know. Yeah. I think it's more of a legitimate sport now. I think they changed some of the rules. Yeah, and then also some... it's not a roller it's not a roller skate. They they use inline rollerblade type of skating, you know? Mm. And uh yeah, it's like a they've been like a relative and cousin of professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. And like in LA that the same referee was being referee. You know, one night at, at the Olympic Auditorium, the, he, those guys were refereeing roller game you know like uh, thunderbirds and all that and then then in the thursday night they come in and and, and the referee wrestling matches male maskers you know what i'm saying mm. so but uh, yeah same time yeah got like a thursday night or something i watched you know tokyo bombers in the, the roller derby roller games and then there was uh, friday or uh, friday must be wrestling so either yeah they, they switch time but the women's wrestling was always on channel eight. You know, I don't want to sound prejudiced, but I did not really follow women's wrestling on TV as much as I should have, or as much as I was paying attention to, you know, men's wrestling, you know, Inoki's New Japan and Baba's Old Japan, you know, twice a week. And there was another company called IWE, that the International Wrestling that Enterprise. So there was there were men's three different company running primetime TV show three times a week your parents will get mad right <laughs> you know oh yeah 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 so I wasn't really watching and also um Mahafumiake and beauty pair period that uh, they appeal to teenage girls you know this completely different audience and marketing and, and, and they were selling merchandise way before WWF was selling merchandise does that make sense yeah, it was definitely more of. I'm trying to find a comparison. Teen but, Idol, yeah, Pop but, Idol, yeah, Teen Idol, Pop Idol in the in 70s. Um, but that's why uh, I brought up roller derby, roller games. But it also kind of similar. 
it also was a uh, more marketed to like it, there wasn't a uh, when we bring up Teen Idol in the states, we often add the element of like falling in love. There's some element of love. Like it's it's usually between somebody loves the singer. You know, there's where in this kind of idol, you know, there might be that, but there's also just more support. It's more of a, a, it's it's not, there's no sexual undertone. It's Mm -hmm. more uh, Partridge family, Partridge family. That that could be a good one, but even still that it's. Yeah. We talked about monkeys and basically rollers or. But yeah. when we get to the singing, that's what that's why I'm trying to. It, they become a little bit more than wrestlers. They become just. I, I guess it would be. It's not the same. I, I'm I'm struggling to to find a, a good comparison. But I guess if you think about but it's old enter, it's and, and, but if you think about old entertainers like um, I don't know, Dean Martin or even Frank Sinatra, all these guys would do. They would act. They would sing. They would do movies. They would host shows. They, they were kind of multi-talented, and that was kind of the standard. And I think that that old school show business sense applied yeah. to Joshi Pro Wrestling. There was that element yeah, of show business. Very seventies approach. High, yeah, high high level, sophisticated show business. In addition to the pro wrestling. Yeah, Beauty so, They all came to quiz shows and variety shows right, and, right. other than the wrestling shows. John Baba Inoki made appearance occasionally, but it was like a very special. But uh, these girls wrestlers would appear and pop up in different TV shows in the same channel. You know? Yeah, they were more personalities. You know, like you said, mm-hmm, Baba was mm-hmm. a wrestler. So there's there's nothing if yeah. there's nothing else to talk about, he's doing the wrestler thing. He's a wrestler, but uh, and later on, more men would start to do that in Japan too. You see, somebody like uh, Makabe is like the mm, king king of eating sweets. <laughs> Those uh, <laughs> yeah, like the sweets. Show. He's he's on all the time, even though he's yeah. Well, like in nineties, Onita was doing it too. Yeah, the, the yeah. king of deathmatch, yeah, guy. But uh, when he comes on TV, he's funny guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of outrageous. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, that element, element was there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's unique. It's unique, and I think yeah. the best way to 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 understand it or try to understand it is just to go out, watch what you can, listen to the records, and, and you know, experience it for yourself. Because as a Westerner, yeah. it's just really different than. Um, and what's unique about all Japan women's wrestling's approach was that uh, they didn't make these superstars overstay their welcome in a way that. Uh, uh, there was a rules that uh, kind of dreaded, but uh, you know, no drinking, no boyfriend, and retire at before age of twenty-five. And they really did that, you know, yeah, all the way was... till like a Dump Matsumoto Chigusa Nagayo era. Yeah, they make you uh, retire at the before age of twenty-five, so you can go on with life and you know get married and have you know have kids or something like that. Yeah. There was like element of purity to to the top idol slash wrestlers too. There's something. Yeah. The Mahav Miyake retired when he was what, when she was what, the 20? Yeah. It was like a really, really, you know, quick, quick two, I mean, three years. But when you were seventh grade and eighth grade, three years seemed like forever, huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. So there was an era. There was an era that when they retired, 
these teenage fans, that the whole bunch of them, they retired too. And uh, yeah, after Beauty Pair, there was a short Mimi Hagiwara era that another pop singer turned wrestler. And but she was not as athletic, but she was a star nonetheless. And uh, there's a yeah Mimi Hagiwara era. Then there was teenage Jaguar Yokota and teenage Devil Masami. See, all these girls start wrestling uh, when they were like right out of ninth grade, 10th grade. You know Mm. what I'm saying? And some of the wrestlers who start them, they're awful young too, right? Mm. That's right. I I remember the show we went to a couple of years ago now. We saw um, Azumi, who's. Oh, yeah. She was like high school, like a teenager. She was yeah, like a she little looked, girl. She, she looked, looked like it. one of my students. <laughs> okay. So, okay. I, so when I see her now, like she's a, she's a woman all now, grown up. It's yeah. It's yeah. it's different. It's definitely yeah. It's different. It's different. Yeah. But uh, yes, um, there was a the, the only one you know one company you know that uh, all Japan women was women's wrestling at the time. Mm, you have to mecha. wait. Yeah, and uh, you, we, we still have to cover this, uh, that the different companies a little bit later on. That the, we, we had to wait until 1986. Japan Joshi Pro Wrestling started, you know, the second company. You know, they lasted until 92. So uh, it wasn't all that long, but uh, yeah, that uh, Japan Joshi became two companies, JWP and LLPW, you know, mm-hmm. in 92. But the, uh, we, gotta, we still have to cover this in the 80s because there was another huge era in Crash Girls. Mm. Shigusa Nagayo and Lioness Asuka. That was almost as big or maybe bigger than than Beauty Bear because they uh, um, oh, they're athletic and uh, uh, the, the, the magazine I worked for, Deluxe Pro Wrestling, you know, the, the sister magazine of Weekly Pro or Baseball Magazine Family, Mm-hmm. That the deluxe pro wrestling became there was a the reason for it, you know, when the monthly magazine became weekly pro wrestling, that the sales skyrocketed, right? The circulation. And there's another magazine called Deluxe Pro, pro Wrestling at the time, monthly magazine. The monthly magazine kind of declined in circulation. And what they did was made deluxe pro wrestling portion into women's magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was a magazine. Inside magazine, there's a monthly Crash Girls that was popular. That they covered, you know, only Crash Girls and, you know, their world. You know, and uh, the magazine was really popular in their own way, and uh, that too. And Rossi was uh, actually a manager uh, of this uh, Crash Girls era. That uh, uh, they were, this, you know, Fuji Television was, you know, still you know running their weekly shows. A better time slot. Uh, at the same time, yeah, Crash Crash Girls era. We, we have we can't forget that the uh, Jumping Bomb Angels too. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And the, was it some of these eighties same, same era? Yeah, it's the same time. Yeah, same era. Exact same era. In within the country of Japan, Crash Girls was was, was much bigger star than the Jumping Bomb Angels. And Crash Girls, Lana Sasuka and Chigusa Nagayo, along with their heel. On them, dump Atsumoto and their you know group, their faction. They had that they they toured 
Madison Square Garden in 1985, 1986. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Yeah, Boston Garden but, too. Yeah, yeah, but they actually didn't make that big of an impact. And in, instead, that the Jumping Bomb Angels uh, were a bigger hit in America because they looked like your almost stereotypical Japanese woman with long, straight black hair, right? Uh, I think most, if you're an old school fan, WWF fan, you from might have, 80s, you might have seen yeah. them on uh, uh, one of the pay per views in the late 80s. I think it was yeah, yeah, and then they one set opponent, the Glamour Girls, the Leilani Kai and Julie Martin. Mm-hmm. They had program, and they didn't bring in you know too many wrestlers at the time. They just they kept doing the the jumping bomb angels against. Glamour girls all over the place. I mean, you get same opponent, same card, a little bit different content, but uh, they just worked against each other forever. But uh, they are the the women's wrestler that really changed the perception of women's wrestling in America. It was a big impact, wasn't it? I think so. Because, because what, what they expected, yeah, what they the expected time. from, yeah, yeah. Slippery maneuvers and uh, missile drop kicks and a uh, bridge and women doing German suplexes and all these things. And Delanica and Judy Martin style by then. By the time it came to the states, mm-hmm. it was it had a, almost two decades of 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 cultivating itself of, of what it was. The style in the ring and then yeah, baby yeah, yeah. heel dynamic. And yeah. also, American audience was just expecting when you hear women's wrestling, fabulous, you know, aged fabulous Muda against her own opponent, right? Mm-hmm. In, in one match. Yeah. So uh, I think Jumping Bomb Angel in America was pretty much the first experience the American audience actually able to sit on and watch Japanese women's wrestling. That's what I'm trying to get to. And they had a real good time, and they had two long tours, you know, seven months stay here and another seven months stay. And um, Itsuki Yamazaki ended up living in America, and she's still in New York. Yeah, really? Huh. Yeah, to this day, yeah, wow. she reopened her her restaurant in New York again. How about um, Tateno? Yeah. Uh, she's back in Japan, but she's a bar owner, yeah, nightclub owner, wow. yeah. <laughs> yeah, different era, but uh, yeah. So there was the attempt that, uh, that uh, to 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 bring Japanese women's wrestling into American market. You know that uh, it was successful, and but uh, wasn't forever. You know that people just remember Jumping Bomb Angel from that certain certain period, right? It was very different from everything else in WWF at the time. It was still, and I think at the it time, still had yeah. some momentum from WrestleMania one with, uh, Wendy Richter and Cindy Lauper. There was still a little right. bit of, um, you know, there was still some momentum from a year or two after that. Yeah. Least. But basically back to Mula style. Yeah. After they stopped bringing in the Japanese talent, Judy Martin, Leilani Kai, I mean, it would eventually kind of go back to that or just disappear completely in the 90s. Yeah, and then you had to wait until Alondra Blaze era. Yep, 94 or so. Yeah. In the meantime, we got to get to that uh, today, but uh, uh, we got to talk about Medusa a little bit later on tonight. Uh, but the Mimi Hagiwara era, then Crash Girls era, then the, the, before that, because uh, the, the teenage 
Jaguar Yokota and Teenage Devil Masami, right? That they were a few years older than Crash Girls, okay? But the Crash Girls became such a huge star in mid-80s in Japan. And uh, it was a beauty pair of Mahafumiyake era all over again. It, uh, they were not that far apart, but, uh, you know, like we said, the company was making these superstar retire relatively early age. Therefore, you have another set of superstar, you know, being brought, um, you know, brought up. And uh, I guess that's how it was. And uh, when Crash Girls was huge, it was huge. But when they started retiring, retiring like in 88, 89, but they would come back later on. Okay. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, these teenage, I mean, huge group of fans also left. Yeah. And uh, the same thing happened, you know, when Crash Girls days were over, that the, all those teenage, that the uh, huge group of fans, they retired too. That was like in 88, 89. Yeah. You should also mention that, excuse me, um, especially Shigusa Nagayo, the style that they were wrestling in the ring, it was really reminiscent of what was popular at the time, like UWF style martial arts. Style oh, oh yeah, yeah. She started working at Akira Maeda with spin kicks yeah. and the karate. Yeah, yeah same, that's, that's, same that's idea. Important. That was really different too. Yeah. Because she still did the singing and the, you know, the albums. Sure, and, sure. But the style was the musical, you know, updated, it stage felt, play. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. In movies, of course, yeah, yeah, styles updated, Sp spinning heel kicks, and uh, yeah, right, they adapt, or even uh, that the UWF kicking pads, right? Yeah, oh, sure, and you know, they, same haircuts, even, right, right, it was very they similar to different, yeah, and it would yeah. appeal to men a little bit more, too. I think, I think that's where we started yeah. to see more of that. I still didn't follow Crash Girls, though. You know, no. yeah, it was it, like one, like you said, it some, was yeah. Really... One given Sunday, you know. Sometimes, if you remember Korakan Hall in Tokyo, you run two different wrestling shows in, in the same building: noon show women's wrestling and six o'clock show men's wrestling. They come in and change the ring and all these things, you know. And uh, I usually skipped. <laughs> you know, women's wrestling in noon show, but they will come back for New Japan shows on, on, on the same building on Sunday night or something. And they still I wasn't do that prejudiced, but it was hard for me to walk into. Oh, two day, uh, two shows in the same building? Mm -hmm. Sunday. Noon usually. shows and 6.30 shows? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they do that too. Saturdays and Sundays. Mm -hmm. that's, maybe that's amazing for American fans, huh? Yeah, because it's, it became a tradition. It yeah, became a tradition yeah. in Japan. And also, right in the center of Tokyo, it's, a, you know, the easiest success. You just get on the subway, get on the train, and go there, and just watch wrestling. Mm. And, and now it's the it. Tokyo Dome right next to it. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, what's better than that? Right. So the Crash Girls, and also that the mid-80s, mid into late 80s that the, the VCR, VHS videos were already in fashion that, uh, you know, it's really hard to find Mahafumiyake and beauty pair footage. And now it's popping up in, in, in uh, on YouTube and stuff like that. But uh, 
not everybody had VCR then, but during Crash Girls era, every home had VCR. So it's easy to find these videos. Yeah. And it's still good to this day. And with any with any of those groups from Beauty Pair to Crash Cows, with, with their music, with their albums, I mean, were these songs pretty big hit singles or were they just big within the wrestling community? Uh, they had one or two that uh, regular hit. Yeah. Because mm, so they were on sing, singing sh late night singing show too. So, yeah. So that, that shows how, uh, how, how much of a breakthrough. A popular, like they, yeah. They transcended. And the... she made, right after retiring from wrestling, that Chigusa Nagayo made, you know, a couple movies mm -hmm. as an actor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. broke up um, before. I mean, so Nagoya never really retired. Yeah, the right? storyline breaking up, and yeah, 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 they did that. Yeah, right. So hindsight, yeah, they did a lot of different things. Yeah, but uh, all in all, still Crush Girls era when you look back. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are little details. Yeah, and I mean, to, if anybody out there hasn't seen the footage from the mid '80s of Chikusa Nagoya against Lioness Asuka single match, yeah, they, that happened a few times. Pretty, yeah. pretty amazing crowd reactions. Pretty intense battles between the two. It was, they were special, for sure. Yeah, and even yeah. today, people were, were were still talking about them. So, right, and then and finally in 1989, both Chigusa Nagayo and Lioness Asuka both retired. You know, I mean, that officially retired. They would come back a little bit later on, but the first official retirement. And somewhat, somehow, that, that this, you know, all Japan women's wrestling crew looked skeleton. That's when Rossi made a plan to bring in Medusa full time. Spring of 1989. 1989. Okay. Yeah. Medusa, yeah. Miss Ellie, Alundra Blaze. Yeah. She was brought in. She was, what, 26 at the time? Yeah. So they already broke the 25-year-old rule then. <laughs> that too. Yeah. But uh, she, Medusa already had two-year run with AW, uh, AWA and AWA champion and also being manager of Bad Company, you know, if you remember Pat Tanaka and Paul Diamond. Paul Diamond, yeah. And, yeah. And young DDP was in there, mm -hmm. younger. Yeah. And, uh, but that, that the, the Vern Gagne's AWA wasn't as serious about women's wrestling and Medusa had her opponent, you know, as a champion, but uh, pretty soon the, the women's program, they kind of dropped, you know. Mm -hmm. And WCW was uh, around the time, NWA Crockett into WCW, and it was in transition period, and they didn't have women's division. And WWF didn't have women's division. Well, kind of had, but it wasn't serious about, you know, even, even Diva yet, you know. And uh, I guess the timing was perfect that uh, Medusa was brought in. And I thought she was going to have just tours, but no, she brought in 10 suitcases and she moved to Japan and started going to Japanese language school. Uh, so she learned the language and also she was put in the bus. Now you have 20, you know, 250 shows a year schedule. Yeah. That's serious. That's pretty mm -hmm. unheard of. Mm -hmm. I mean, she, she was a, a trailblazer. Yeah. Then also none, none of the girls spoke any English in, in that bus. <laughs> Can you imagine? That will yeah. really force you to learn Japanese. 
and this complicated six man tag team, six women tag team, the high spots they have to go through. There's a lot of nonverbal oh. communication. Yeah, yeah. But the, what was a breakthrough was that the following year, 1990, when they start doing the wrestlers MMA kind of thing, that the Medusa and, and younger Aja Khan had kickboxing mm-hmm. fight. Not yeah. work. It's actual kickboxing. <laughs> oh, it was like crazy early, idea, right? It, lo- it was like early MMA. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess Medusa had this feeling that it was do or die situation, and uh, and also had to prove something to the the very locker room because other girls were somewhat. Some of the girls were iffy. Why was she brought in? Because uh, most of them felt that the, they were better wrestlers than Medusa was, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, just some of the girls felt that the Medusa was getting a special treatment. Because upon arrival, there was a singing program, you know, being produced, and she had a singing, you know, the, the CDs and uh, picture books and uh, image videos and all these, you know, marketing vehicles that the Rossi came up with. And uh, just if she wasn't going to be a superstar, you were doing something wrong, right? Uh, Rossi did everything to make her a new superstar. Right, uh, this was right after Crash Girls era. You know, you got to gain. Uh, you know, develop a new audience and you know, the, the whole strategy of it. And, uh, but that is, you know, all in all, Medusa had a lot to prove. Prove to the audience, prove to the locker room. Yeah, that, both, right? Mm-hmm. Like a sandwiched. And learning a language at the same time. Oh my gosh, you know? It takes a lot of guts to to do that. It, it You know, it sounds like what it sounds like, but, um, geez, what, Especially without something like the internet available, when you're oh, out. there was no internet. I mean, and actually, there was no cell phone. Nobody had cell phone in ninety yet. Mm. Oh God, yeah. Oh, she used to leave like a you know ten minute message on my answering machine. <laughs> I mean, answering machine was not short. It's like a, like a actual mini cassette tape, right? So you can record long time, you know. And uh, then 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 a new device, you know came out like in 1991 that you can listen to your answering machine from outside mm-hmm. remember that mm-hmm. yeah and uh yeah the communications and all these things and i i guess that the rossi and i were friends so i got involved more yeah uh, yeah around that time yeah it was interesting you know because it was one year before in a, you know inter-promotional program started you have to wait until 1992 that uh, all Japan women against FMW women, you know, like uh, Megumi Kudo and yeah, that the Maidomari and all these mm-hmm. girls. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, that era. Oh, yeah, that uh, Debi Malenko Hasegawa against Maidomari and, and Tsuchiya. It's like you're talking miscommunicating or that the different, you know, upbringing in wrestling that uh, all these fmw women's wrestlers were trained with men's method right mm-hmm. onita trained them so they therefore it's like they work like men and uh that's just like that made it matches interesting and there was uh the uh, all japan women's uh, women against jwp girls all japan women against llpw llpw 
W. Okay, we have to go back. 1986, there was they they started Japan Joshi Pro Wrestling as a second group. All all the wrestlers coached by late Jackie Sato, mm-hmm. part one the one half of Beauty Pair. Yeah, she made comeback as a wrestler, short lived, you know, but the mostly she coached all these. Kyuri Suzuki or the Mayumi Ozaki, or the Dynamite Kanzai, the you you name you know the JWP or Japan Joshi, that uh, group of girls, completely different from all Japan women's. That made it interesting because not not all the women's wrestlers were all Japan style women's wrestler anymore. There was a different kind that the, it was eye opening, right? Like uh, trained by different wrestlers trained by another method while women can work different style too does that make sense yeah you could really start to see the the differences in not just the style but the approach to to everything in the ring yeah sometimes clashes in you know styles but that made match that much you know more interesting because yes dynamite kanzai was really good in her own way you know the later on there was a program aja kong against dynamite kanzai it's like a, wow they work like men right yeah i mean yeah. it was just a different um it was a kind of a new approach it was and it was brutal at times it was rough I think yeah it, yeah it was also the time when it, like we talked about early mma pride or not pride excuse me pancrase ewf this yeah, yeah, at the time, harder hitting because style. Same, 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 same audience was watching both men and women's wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think this might have allowed Joshi Pro Wrestling to start to expand its market to the '90s because a lot more men started to watch. Yeah, well. and then there was a time, in, like in early '90s, when the, the, the you know this, this, a lot of the smaller independent company in Japan started. You know, not just all Japan and New Japan and UWF groups, but uh, FMW, the Universal. Universal is a company that uh, brought in the Mexican lucha, genuine lucha libre. You know, that uh, Yoshi, that the Asai. You know, that the Yoshiro Asai Ultimate before, Dragon. yeah, before he was Ultimate Dragon. See, he was New Japan Dojo student back in 1986-87. That the, he was told that he was too small to debut in Japan. And he packed up and went to Mexico in 87 and made it on his own. His own success story that we have to talk about Ultimate Dragon sometimes in different episodes. Mm-hmm. But he was brought back along with all these genuine Mexican talent like El Santo, the Bijanos, the, that, uh, the, the Kendo, the Katokunri, the, all these genuine Mexican talent that uh, they had Mexican Lucha Libre show in Japan for the first time in 1991. Mm-hmm. And that uh, all Japan women helped that group and they, they sent all Japan women's superstars like young Bison Kimura, the Aja Kong, the young Kyoko Inoue, the, uh, the, the, they worked show you know, the universal Lucha, Lucha Libre show. And these fans who came to see genuine Mexican Lucha Libre went home becoming women's wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Yeah, because wasn't expecting it. But uh, you know what? What we saw today, like, women's wrestling was the greatest thing or something. And then 
Crash Girls, as popular as they were, they didn't really draw men's audience. You know, I'm not not to take away you know from them, but they were really really popular. But like myself, I didn't really follow women's wrestling on you know until then. That the Crash Girls really appealed to teenage female audience. You know, it's almost specialized in it, and uh, didn't. Yeah, as a result, they didn't really draw men's regular wrestling fans. And uh, by Rossi sending these, you know, women's wrestler to this Universal Lucha Libre show, they, they these Japanese fans, they were somewhat prejudiced at the time, right? About women's wrestling. Well, that's for girls, right? Mm. But uh, they ended up watching women, witnessing women's wrestling for the first time during that show. I said, wow, is that what they do, right? And uh, they stopped coming to uh, women's wrestling shows. Therefore, Bo Nakano era starts. Uh, yeah. So this would be was, around what, 88, 89? Uh, oh, 92, 91, 92. 92, because I know Bo Nakano was she was a big name, but she yeah, was she start, a bit in the shadow. Yeah, she started, oh, yeah, because she was a second from Dump Matsumoto. Mm. Dump Matsumoto retired around the same time Crash Girls retired. They're just kind of, they're all gone. And uh, all of a sudden, 20-year-old Bonacan became the number one wrestler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's also Masa era. Yeah, because uh, both Crash Girls are gone. Red belt, you know, that the, you, you still have the, the, the top red belt, the WWWA, Worldwide Women's Wrestling Association, world champion, the red belt, we call it. That There was a Pacific title that's a white belt. That tradition remains, all, you know, all, all the way to today. See, Stardom's red belt is the biggest one. The second best was the white belt. Much like your WWE Universal Champion and Intercontinental title kind of thing. And... Uh, Bo Nakano was put a, as, as a red belt champion heel, but uh, it didn't matter that, that just the Bo, no, Bo Nakano had to be the one to carry the company. Yeah. And she was successful. And what was successful was that Bo Nakano and her faction uh, were the ones that brought men's audience into the building. Now it's completely different era. Then, yeah, go ahead. So, why? What are some reasons do you think that was back then? For, for and why would why would Bulnokano? What was what was it about her specifically or particularly that she? How did she? Do you think brought in uh, that the more of a men's male audience? audience? Hmm. Because her matches are just as convincing as any men's matches. Content. 20-minute single match, storytelling, expressions, character. And at the end of the match, you're satisfied, you know? And uh, just good wrestler, you know, that the, that portion of her character should not be overlooked. That the Bonacano, as heavy as she was, you know, you see, you, you, back then, Bonacano was, what, 220-pound girl, you know, woman. She was... She had a very unique look. She was big, and she looked yeah. like a wrestler. She looked like a pro wrestler. Yeah, and it worked like a wrestler. Mm. And it's like, these matches, these, some of these Japanese wrestling fans, male wrestling fans were 
still prejudiced, right? Like, still puzzled in the being, you know, that the Bonakano, Ajakang, Bison Kimura, Akira Hokuto, but probably were still quizzed. But uh, yeah, they were there to show male audience what they could do. And their matches were actually just as good as what you expect from Keiji Muto or, you know what I'm saying, at the time, Akira and the, the Mitsuharu Misawa, that uh, if not better, you know, that uh, these women's wrestlers are really, really convincingly, I mean, they're good, is what I'm saying. So that uh, uh, whatever you felt, you know, at home before you come into the building, it's just like, a, just leave it and just watch Bonacano's match, you be fan of Bonacano when you leave the building. Mm. When you left the building, yeah, it was, was like larger that. than life. She she definitely had that. Uh, that yeah, and then she became star without doing any promos in the ring. No promos, no talk. singing, no movies. No, none of that. It just matches. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, similar to men's style. I mean, people got popular. Men got popular in men's wrestling. Through the wrestling, there wasn't too much overlapping uh, entertainment. And also, crossover. I guess that the, the Japanese wrestling fans at the time was there's more to wrestling than the New Japan and Old Japan. You discovered UWF, you know, like UWF and UWF groups that uh, trying to make wrestling into legitimate contest. That like MMA, uh, that the style style was there, and uh, way in the other side of extreme spectrum people watched onita's death matches right mm -hmm. yeah and then so i, I think people were then there was a lucha libre group you know they're doing genuine lucha libre in, in, in japan and people were i think ready to have another style of meal mm -hmm. or something yeah yeah and and the by the time of the like early 90s for even in the late 80s it was quite innovative compared with everything yeah. else that was happening in the world. It was, it's hard to explain it now, but when you see some of the kinds of wrestling or, or the moves, the, a lot of the, a lot of the aerial stuff, a lot of the high flying, the uh, Lucha Libre inspired uh, offense, it's always, it was very, very, uh, it was a spectacle. It was mm -hmm. really, you wouldn't see that on any other shows unless you're at a Lucha Libre show in Mexico, but they really did bring a, by the early 90s a special element uh and different energy to pro wrestling that i think really influenced a lot of modern pro wrestling men's and female yeah male and female of course and japanese audience were ready to watch another style of wrestling you know what i'm saying and they were yeah, ready to another move on style. from the the idol era you know not, not just that but the Male wrestling fans, they're more to wrestling than uh, Antonio Inoki's school of wrestling, New Japan, and Giant Baba's school of wrestling, all Japan. There's two major companies, of course, but uh, then the UWF was presented. Then Onita Extreme thing presented. Then there was a couple, you know, Wing or IWA Japan that did the spin off of, of, of Onita style deathmatch happening. And then uh, there was like a all Japan women, but you have JWP, there was LLPW, FMW had some women's, and there's a, a lot to watch that, that there's more to it, like a variety, that the different style of music or something. That Very the, distinct. You feel like, 
yeah, like you feel like you listen to ass kicking rock and roll or that in heavy metal side, but sometimes you want to listen to good old southern rock and roll or yeah, like a really pop to really just they allow audience to really experience different style of wrestling. There were more wrestling out there that uh, it really was a you know like a rich period in the early nineties that. Uh, a lot of wrestling to choose from mm-hmm. and it, it was definitely a time of innovation not just within women's wrestling but uh in japanese wrestling i think the athleticism got turned up a couple notches we saw a lot of it just things really evolved from the 80s yeah and also by showing different style of wrestling they forced wrestling and wrestling wrestling company i should say wrestling companies to be more honest to the audience you know what i'm saying mm-hmm that yeah. was early 90s or the double counter and double dq or you know the the no contest finish disappeared you have to send people home happy you know what i'm saying in the the, the reason i'm saying is like in late 70s into early 80s that the, you when you have nwa world title match you know either if it was Harley Race or younger Ric Flair coming to old Japan and defend in his NW World Heavyweight title. That people just knew that it was going to be double countout or the DQ finish or, you know what I'm saying? That the title wouldn't change, the world title wouldn't change hands in Japan or something. And uh, But Giant Baba was still doing it. And uh, in hindsight, interesting, the Baba was uh, the one of the first ones to change that trend that uh, they went to all clean finishes winners and losers right mm-hmm. and uh, it, it forced wrestling company to be more honest to the audience that the, that they started giving you know what people want and or these audience will go to another company yeah mm-hmm. go watch other wrestling yeah it started becoming more competitive among the companies yeah and Bo Nakano was, was, and Akira Hokuto, I should say, mm. those two are very special that uh, they can, you know, like show the wrestling and the matches, the content, Toto was four pillars or three musketeers. The, the Bo Nakano matches, uh, Akira Hokuto matches, Aja Kong matches, they were every bit as good as men's matches. Mm. Am I making sense? If not better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I've always been big, huge Bonacano fan. So it's like she's good, and also that uh, she comes up with. I mean, like, they never repeat the same match. Even they did the uh, Bonacano against Aja Kong many times, or the uh, the Bonacano against Akira Hokuto or something. They just or Manami Toyota for that matter. They will bring in like a different level match every time they come back. Yeah, it had a different rhythm than a lot of other wrestling styles at the time, too. It was pretty fast-paced compared with, say, WWF Yeah, what's interesting in the 90s. is, though, that the, you got people in Manami Toyota, she never watched men's wrestling growing up. Isn't that interesting? I think you can tell in her wrestling, though, because you know even the way some of the wrestlers uh, do a body slam or, or do the hair throw. Um, right, right. Or, or, Women's original. Yeah, unique to women's 
to to women's wrestling. The the, the bridging and better escape. looking bridges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better looking bridges. I, I was just was gonna say. I mean, same German suplex with bridges, right? But the, they have different uh, physique and just yeah, they do it like more like a figure skating or something, right? Yeah, and, and there wasn't a lot of um, like posing the moves. There wasn't a lot of like. Holding a suplex. Oh, they go 100 miles an hour. You mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It goes as soon uh, when you brought up Manami. Yeah, like a the, marathon runner, 100 miles an hour, but they they go 45 minutes. And it was kind of like the, the Stan Hansen idea: go 100 yeah. percent and uh, never really let up until the match is over. Yeah, yeah. Then you're full. <laughs> you know what I mean? And on the topic of bull knocking, we should also mention. She's the only wrestler that I know that carried nunchucks with her to the ring. Yeah. Oh, they, they demonstrated nunchucks right before the matches. And well, Greg Kabuki was would... always doing it. Oh, that's right. But, that's uh, right. Yeah, uh, right. How oh, could she I use that? Then uh, 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 she would use it as a weapon soon after, too. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. For some reason, she was she's heel, but she was a likable heel, though. You know, for some reason. Yeah. Maybe it's because of her look. That's I mean, she about looked cool. Her. She looked like a um, kind of like a comic book character. She didn't look yeah, like anybody. Yeah, the blue blue hair sticking up, and maybe two feet, three feet tall, <laughs> and uh, heavy metal oh, shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she right. She used a can of spray every night. Wow, to make the hair stick up, and if it didn't work, she used the glue. I mean, good old mm. glue. You know, punk rock and, style. Uh, yeah, and then uh, the band X in Japan was huge too at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, she does look like um, <clears throat> X. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they kind of had that glam look, the makeup. Uh, yeah, the, of the time, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and and she was also doing like you mentioned um, Medusa earlier and Aja Kong and the kickboxing match and later. Bullock kind of had a lot of famous cage matches. Yeah. And then the big leg drop off the top of the cage, right. much like your, you know, Superfly Jimmy Snooker memory. Mm. But yeah. uh, a little more extreme, I would say. Leg drop's pretty gnarly. Yeah, leg drop off the top of the cage and bounced and she stood. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A lot of impact. I guess. Yeah, yeah. And then there was in in, in the starting in '92. Then there was inner promotion period that made women's wrestling even more popular. They were running big shows every month. You know, Yokohama this month, the next month Kawasaki, and then eventually going all oh of course Budokan, Sumo Palace, all the way to Tokyo Dome in '94. Yeah, but but by then. That uh, they did the, this traditional, more like a inherit world title thing that uh, Aja, that uh, Aja Kong beat Bonakano to become the, the red belt champion, world champion. Then Bonakano left Japan and went to Mexico and became CMLL women's champion. Then came back and didn't have full time schedule. Then went to America in in at the end of '93 and then had a Alondra Blaze program. By then, Medusa was back in America, and she was Alondra Blaze. But uh, Alondra Blaze needed this 
great opponent. Then there was Bonacano Alandra Blaze program in WWF. I remember that so vividly. I I remember how different those two looked compared to everything else that was on the programs those days. Um, They probably like if you grew up as a kid in nineties, you know that's that's how you remember what women's wrestling is like. Uh, that that's the the positive and and good memories I have of, and that was really it was pretty inspiring because it, like you said, the the style was so different for it had evolved so much. Uh, Bull Nakano's look was like anything that I'd seen at the time. I mean, even her body mm-hmm. shape, I'd never seen a, a woman uh, that's that big and thick, thick and heavy, but yeah. can move, but they like can a move, feather. move, yeah, yeah. Uh, flying well, off the Alandra top Blaze rope. definitely needed Bonacano to do what she does. Sure, sure. Yeah, because Alandra Blaze was strong enough to German suplex that size of Bonacano, right? Yeah. And Bonacano in the in the states was able to, you know, she always played the heel character, but in the states she could do that, play that role, right. genuine and, heel, and and play off the uh, the the heat that the crowd might initially would give her when you would think about doing something heelish like that. Yeah. And while some, uh, during that course that the one month, during the one month period, they wrestled 28 times in one month period. (laughs) It's like, that's every day, isn't it? They were, yeah, there was something special and serious about her and Toyota and Kyoko Inoue. Um, something that was a little more intense than past generations and more wrestling yeah. focused. One uh, during this Alondra Blaze period, there was one that that the, the Survivor Series they brought in like eight other Japanese girls. Remember that one? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I had and actually yeah. I remember um, watching. There was one of the programs, uh, like the preview programs, WWF uh, America Wrestle America or something. It was on USA. Right. They were kind of USA preview. Network. Yeah, and they they would show old matches and preview pay per views that were coming up, and I remember there was a vignette they showed with Jim Ross doing a voiceover, and they showed actual footage from all Japan, from all Japan women, of mm, uh, mm. The, uh, of all the competitors, and I saw Chaparita Asari do the sky Asari doing the spinning spinning in the air thing. That was my. Uh, it's like if I was a kid and I saw the Avengers for the first time. I mean, we didn't have that yet, but when I saw that, right. I, I didn't. How should you do that? Yeah. I didn't. I have rewound it and and rewound it and rewound it, and uh, I never forget. Yeah, I mean, and she looked like she was wearing a, a space cadet's outfit. I mean, it looked like yeah. And, and you had Kyoko. And she Inoue was little too, like, like a five feet. Very small, very small. Yeah. And uh, I remember. I also remember Aja Kong breaking her nose the next night on uh, Monday Night Raw. Ah. Yeah, she, uh, and she got a bloody nose on TV, and it, yeah, it, it was going to be Aja being sent for ne- next Alondra Blaze program the following year. That never took place, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it was going to be Aja against Alondra Blaze the following year. It just somehow didn't take place, but uh, yeah. Um, but the, yeah, the the '95 Survivor Series. You saw Kyoko Inoue who had the the face paint too. Um, sure. They were doing things, like I said, you wouldn't see in any other promotions in the States, only in Mexico at the time. Um, 
Yeah. Right. Because there are many women's wrestlers out there down there. Yeah. Yeah. The look was so, different. So, the a, so, so they were a link because of Bo and Alandro Blaze or Jumping Bomb Angel before that. But the, there was a link uh, between US women's wrestlers uh, wrestling scene and Japanese women's wrestling. It, it kind of mingled, you know, in a different way than the men's wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for for that era of girls, they were ahead of their time for the United States. I, I think it was because there was no such thing as women's division. Yeah, I mean now there's like a women's a of, division. Yeah, it, it had more history. It was based mm-hmm, on mm-hmm. more more of its own history. So I think if and that's why I think if you watch it now, especially the material from the '90s, it's it doesn't look or feel that dated. Like some wrestling can feel sometimes. You could you remember sure, trends in sure. wrestling and, and and also you just are able to watch these women in you know, Japanese women's matches with no storyline or promo. And, and they were dramatic. Matches. And they were very dramatic. Uh some of the and yeah, some of these uh matches the from the wrestling in the ring to the crowds uh, just got really intense, wild, um Unlike a lot of male wrestling at the time, too, but um, yeah, the I mean, part of me thinks it's kind of part of it's lightning in a bottle. It was a lot of great talent all together at the same time. I think that's part of it too. I think mm-hmm. you had a lot of special characters that can't be recreated. Can't cre- recreate Kyoko in a way. Can't recreate Bull Nakano. Or, or Madami Toyota, for that matter, yeah. Or Alundra Blade. Akira Hokuto. Alundra Blade, yeah. yeah. Um, they're really... So Madusa became Hokuto, a st- yeah. st- strong link between two countries. Mm-hmm. So the more mm-hmm. so than the wrestling legacy itself, but she played a part, like a political part in it, you know, orchestrated to bring in Japanese girls into WWE ring at mm. the time. Yeah. So that was good. The back to Japan, that uh, that uh, inner promotion thing, you know, company against company, you know, thing peaked. Uh, the first peak was April of '93, Yokohama Arena, the famous show that lasted until after midnight. You know, mm-hmm. we were going to miss the last train, but the, well, the match is still taking place, and two more matches coming, and uh, I guess. All these eighteen thousand people decided to stay in the building after after the last train. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and if you live in Tokyo, became, people got to realize became legend. Well, yeah, if you if you miss the last train, you're in Yokohama. You're at least forty minutes, maybe an hour away from your home if you live in Tokyo. So yeah, you got to <laughs> yeah, make a decision. Most, That's a regular most, decision most, you have to make. Yeah, and then you, uh, it was school night too. You know, it wasn't it wasn't mm. the weekend, and there's like a legend that. Uh, People were sitting outside the train station or decided to walk to a closest bar, you know, to just sit. And uh, there's some people found hotels to stay. And there's this legend that, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, found each other, those wrestling fans, you know, in a small bar around town. There's just like, oh, did you go to show tonight? It's like, wow, we missed train too. And it's just, <laughs> it's just legend, you know, out there. That was a night Akira Hokuto. Uh, became that the breakthrough superstar 
by beating um, Kandori, Shinobu Kandori. Oh. Shinobu, yeah, Shinobu Kandori was another one that who was a world champion judoka, you know, that turned wrestler. Was never a wrestling fan. So he was like almost like an almost like a not an alien, but uh, um, just an uh, individual who wandered into wrestling world. You know Very what I'm similar to Naoya Ogawa a couple years later. Oh, for today's fan, Brock Lesnar in at, at sure. the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, outside, kind of like that. But yeah, yeah, but the tough one, real tough mm-hmm. one, very tough, very uh, realistic. Yeah, in order to have com- yeah, and then in order to have convincing wrestling match with that person is incredibly diff- difficult. But mm-hmm. Akira Hokuto, Paul, Paul Dick is such a good, you know, good worker, and also she beat uh, Kandori very convincingly. Like, well, we call it. It was like a double juice match, of course. You know, you know women cut forehead at the time. You know, it was a bloody match. Very but, bloody. Uh, it, yeah, it was legendary, you know. And then they did three consecutive single match that year. It became a huge program. We should spend yeah. more time on the next on episode. Akira. On yeah, especially I mean, because she's she's really special too, and and it's still a big... Akira Hokuto. Oh, yeah. very special, and became bigger star than any former wrestlers on television, and she's on TV now. I mean, mm-hmm. like. Like turn daily. the TV on today, and and, and you you find Akira Hope to some channel, mm-hmm. either it's a food channel or the traveling, you know, travel, you know, or the quiz show, variety show, a talk show, or something. She's on TV all the time, and also mm-hmm. she survived breast cancer, and mm-hmm. she made it public and had it documented that every step the way of her making comeback, and you know, and just the. Uh, Became very inspirational figure in in entertainment world. Very smart woman. Yeah, and bright. Would you, would you say she's a household name in Japan? Oh, right now, oh, she is Akira Hokuto mm. more so than any wrestlers. Mm. I mean, any former wrestler. Yeah. Oh man. Well, now Ricky Choshu's on TV a lot, and Keiji Muto's on TV a lot, and the Maeda, uh, oh, Nobuhiko Takada for that matter. And Onita's always on TV too. But Akira Fukuto can be on regular television and didn't have to present it as a former wrestler. Mm-hmm. She, I mean, most of the TV view, today's TV viewer don't probably remember Akira Hokuto as a former pro- professional wrestler. She's she just does, Akira Hokuto. Yeah, she doesn't wear the makeup or dye her hair the same way. She, oh, she, no, not anymore. It's no. just turned into TV person. Yeah. A big, big very smile, very different from her, uh, her past. Yeah, and her wit, and so quick. Yeah, and uh, yeah, very, the way she quick. spoke is pretty. Um, she, it, you know, the wrestling, especially in Japan and in women's wrestling in Japan, it's not focused on angles, promos, uh, or, or storylines. But she was quite effective talking on the mic even if you don't understand japanese oh convincing. i think she very com- yeah she had a lot of uh she could communicate a lot just doing what she does she yeah, was kind of yeah. like a, a like uh she's another one that you can't really compare her to anybody either right right a little bit of ricky choshu in her little bit of keiji muto in there a little bit of inoki in there right mm-hmm. yeah. La- yeah. uh 
lot, lots of charisma and uh, kind of fearless, fearless attitude. Those, those crazy cannonball dives off the top of turn, oh, turnbuckle. Oh, great the... athlete, great athlete. Oh my gosh! And also invented a lot of moves. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a twisting Northern lights bomb. Yeah, twisting suplex into bridges and then all these. I mean, it's changed a little bit and never wanted to do somebody else's move, right? So whatever she did in the ring, all these big moves were pretty original. Yeah. Well, same way Manami Toyota was, this is, uh, what she does is pretty original, right? Mm. Uh, so, yeah. And the approach, too, with Toyota, she was just so fast. She was, like you said, like a 100 cat. miles per hour. Yeah. Just as soon as that bell rang, and she would, she would like a cat, she would jump onto the top rope, no hands, just... No hands, just... Jump right up to the... Leapfrogging. Just like a cat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that, was, that was wild. That was wild at the time. Yeah. It still is. So, still so people is. have to watch it and go back and watch that. Yeah. And there's lots All to All right, watch. so... Um, we were able to, you know, I didn't know how far we were, you know, I didn't know how far we were able to, you know, go, but the 93, 94, 95, that uh, in the promotion uh, peak era, you know, there was... People remember 1994 Tokyo Dome card, but it wasn't the peak. It was almost like the beginning of the end of the era, actually. You sure, know what I'm it was like the uh, the last scene in the movie. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. That uh, Bonacano returns and Medusa returns as Alandra Blaze. And he was also Akira Hokuto's first retirement, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. That was like almost like a beginning of the end. Uh, but there was Yokohama Arena, there was a Budokan, there was Osaka, you know, that uh, there was Nagoya, that uh, Tokyo Bay NK Hall, that, that building is no longer. But uh, then another, uh, two more Yokohama Arena show, another Budokan show. They were running all kinds of big shows, much like today's New Japan, right? Mm. Yeah. Then in 94, the Gaia Japan started at Chigus, uh, you know, after. Uh, former Crash Girl, Chigusa Nagayo, decided to return to wrestling. Instead of coming back to All Japan Women, she wanted to start Gaia Japan, her own company. And there was 15-year-old rookie Meiko Satomura was in there. Current WWE NXT superstar. Yeah, so it's like a, that's an interesting part that we have to talk about, cover, you know, next time. But there was a, a, this... Not, not, now we, we kind of look back this you know early 90s women's japanese women's uh, wrestling peak period but the, I, I was there rossi was there we didn't feel that it was a boom you know what i'm saying i felt that it could get bigger you know what i'm saying mm. and uh oh it's like a, we were saying that at the time well, 25 years ago right that uh, would boom period come back again oh yeah probably but it's not it yet it's like a, we didn't think it was boom period now we look back, it was huge, but uh, we were in it, you know, and experiencing it. I was doing a color commentating, you know, for women's, you know, all Japan women, women's official video series. And uh, I didn't really feel that it was like a booming yet, you know, like a, I felt that it could grow even bigger, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I didn't realize that it was that big, you know? Now it's 2022 that I look back 25, 27 years ago. It's like, right, that was big. Mm. Yeah, almost almost 30 years ago. It is 30 years ago. 
Yeah, 92. I, on the other side of the world, 93, 94, 95 were not popular years for pro wrestling in the U.S. They were, oh, and then the big scandal and the steroid trial mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah uh, it was very different uh, it was a, a 20, 20 20 tv shows and oh yeah that was a bad period wasn't it people i mean it, it's viewed nicely now there was some great wrestling but uh it's it's not like it was popular i mean compared with where it was back then and where and even where it is now it's a lot more popular now than it was in those uh early 90s years so looking to japan and seeing how successful uh all japan women and lpw were and and other japanese companies who were doing great new japan was probably the biggest company in the world at around that at time. the time maybe yeah, yeah and then they were in tokyo dome the osaka dome the fukuoka dome that they're building I mean, stadium shows yeah and the, so and we'll talk about it next time but the women would run tokyo dome around this time too and looking at it from that 94. perspective yeah 94 i mean that is it was not a popular time for wrestling in general, in a, yeah, in the U.S. and yeah, you was another the you know Monday Night War or yeah. NWO or anything like that. There was right. there were women doing a women's only show at the Tokyo Dome, so right, it, it, very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot more to get into next week. We'll focus more on the '90s and try to get into Gaia and then yeah, and then but the fallout. Uh, these videos can be found uh, on YouTube now, so I I want people to watch. You know. Bonakano and Akira Hokuto matches, uh, the younger Manami Toyota Kyoko Inoue matches, uh, Saki Hasegawa Debbie Malenko matches uh, on you know, if you can find them on YouTube, yeah, because it's worth watching. Yeah, actually, uh, this is a pretty recent announcement. As it's a week old, this was announced that there's there okay there's a streaming service in the United States called IWTV. Uh, independent yeah. wrestling television they do a lot they used to do the gcw uh, streaming and they did they have uh, licenses for lots of indie promotions to to distribute right. their their stuff on their streaming site and last week as of last week um they acquired over 200 uh, episodes of all japan women from this era oh wow talking about so there's about 200 episodes on the on iwtv um, ah, okay. Television. Very interesting. They did Very a deal with, uh, you know, Ladies Ring, Ladies Ring, mm. the magazine and media company. They did a, um, they did some kind of uh, distribution deal. So, if you're a hardcore fan and you want to sign up for the IWTV subscription service, they have lots of old All Japan. A lot of the stuff we're, we talked about on today's episode. Ah, all right. Uh, so this is the way we start next week. Yeah, uh, the end of this, you know, inner promotion era, and uh, it was like uh, as of 1997, half half the wrestler quit all Japan women. Rossi, you know, quit all Japan women and started his first company, RCN. Mm. And uh, yeah, we gotta start around there. And Gaia Japan and and and, and uh, neo yeah. ladies, neo ladies, of course. Oh yes, yeah. So those things. Now that the, I mean, like in 2022 we have 15 women's company in japan you know and uh we'll try to get, get to that and how did this old japan uh women close their shop too mm. it was was the end of the air end of the end of an era definitely all right let's get in, we'll get into that next week i'm excited for that too and i think a lot of our listeners oh, okay. are as well so if you have yeah, questions, little, I felt a little, little bit disorganized, you know, because we jump and jump back and forth, back and forth. So, 
uh, yeah, I, uh, we'll be a little bit more organized next time or something. Well, if if uh, if listeners out there wanted to ask you a question or reach out to you about anything, Please. how can they uh, reach you? On Twitter, at Fumihiko Dayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, at Fumihiko Dayo, or Fumisaito on Facebook. And I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R on Twitter. Um, that's it for next for this week. For next week, let's talk about more 90s all Japan women's and JWP and FMW into women millennium and 21st century. Yeah. Into the modern era. So until next time. Oh, so long from Tokyo. Yes,